Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Jen, lifestyle YouTuber and your host of this podcast, where we dive deep with insightful guests to find out how self-care has played a role in their success. Welcome to our community. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to our community. I am so excited about this week's episode. You have no idea. Obviously, I love talking to YouTubers because I am one myself, but there is so much more to Remy than that. There's so much more to her than just her vegan blog, and we'll get into Remy in a second, obviously. Clearly, I'm so excited. I just wanted to jump right into it and say that there's just so many layers to her. We will talk about that in a second, but of course, we have to start with what was in alignment and out of alignment for me this week and for you guys as well. If you are new, what we do every single week is we talk about what was in alignment and out of alignment for us this week, and then we breathe in more of what was in alignment and exhale what was out of alignment, and it's just a way for us to all reflect on our week. So for me, this past week, I have been in Florida. I am so fortunate enough to have parents that have a place in Florida, so they don't really let us come here without them. So <laughs> my dad is finally fully vaccinated, and he made the trip to Florida. So my boyfriend and I last minute were like, let's crash let's go so we've been working from home here in Florida for the past week and it has been amazing sunshine makes everything better as you know I live in New York City and it has been freezing and I live in a studio apartment and I've just been cooped up and just working outside this week with the palm trees and the Florida sunshine I feel like I was working at a different job like truly it just felt completely different. We haven't traveled anywhere since before the pandemic. We we went upstate New York for a weekend once, which is a drive away, but we have not been in an airport or anything in over a year. So it's just such an amazing change of pace. I need to make sure this summer that I am, you know, going to work outside in the park and doing things this summer in New York that is going to make work a little more enjoyable and, you know, not be totally cooped up in my apartment. And I think that's what this week has taught me, but also just relaxing, like not putting too much pressure on this week. Well, I won't lie. I have totally put pressure on myself to, I plan to get up like two more videos onto YouTube this week than I did. I got one video up before I left and I keep putting pressure on myself to edit this other video and I have gotten a bunch of editing done for the MadFit video that I have coming up. But I just decided today, like I have today and tomorrow Saturday and Sunday, you guys are listening to this Monday while I'm on a plane back to New York probably, but I've been working all week. I have two days this weekend to just relax and enjoy and I truly love podcasting. You know, I'm taking 10 minutes to do this intro and it 
it causes me no stress at all, but I don't need to put pressure on myself to upload a YouTube video this week when it can wait two days. I'll finish editing it on the airplane on Monday and then get it up. I just decided like, let's stay really present, enjoy the moment, and I'm still staying consistent. I'm getting my podcast up. I got up one video this week, but I want to go home. You guys know I've been dealing with burnout lately, and I just want to go home and feel recharged, ready to go, ready to hit the ground running, and like reset and start churning out more content and doing everything that I want to do. So I want to fully take advantage today and tomorrow. I want to read. I want to go in the hot tub. I want to go for a walk. I just, that's what's in alignment for me this week. This, you know, being in this place where I can relax and just recentering myself and letting myself know that self-care, you know, my message is always that self-care, mental health, all of that is even more important than physical health. And I've just been trying to find the balance lately of productivity while preventing burnout. And I think I'm going to do a solo episode on this. So I will quit rambling on this because I do want to do a whole solo episode on how to stay productive while avoiding burnout. So I'm testing some systems out for myself and just, you know, reminding myself like I am in Florida for one week. I'm escaped from, you know, my studio apartment that I've been working in for a year. Let's relax. Let's recenter, not put so much pressure on ourselves. And that's what's in alignment for me this week. I've also, you know, spent quality time with my dad, with Ethan. It's been just so nice to be here. It's just been, that's totally in alignment for me this week. So what was out of alignment for me this week was, you know, I can't even sugarcoat it and it's it's just totally what was out of alignment for me this week and it is, I would like to say it more pleasantly like the kundalini experts do, which is my moon cycle, but you probably don't know what that means, so I'm just going to say it at my period. <laughs> Obviously, I rarely get it. You know, my birth control curbs me from getting it or forgetting it for more than a day. And of course, the one week I'm in Florida for the year, I get it and I have it the entire week. So I'm feeling fatigued. I'm feeling bloated. It's just awful timing. And I want to be able to work out and run in this nice weather. I, you know, I have a yoga mat by the pool and I keep trying to get in a good workout because that is my favorite part of being here, like working out outside and just totally zoning out like that is my favorite form of self-care is working out and I feel like I can't I'm so fatigued and bloated and it's just not comfortable so it's definitely been a buzzkill it's of course lasting longer than ever and it's lasted my entire time here so that is what's out of alignment for me this week completely so let's breathe in more of what was in alignment for us this week and breathe out what was out of alignment for this week. <sighs> that always feels so good. I hope you guys did the same on your end. And let's get into this week's episode. So Remy Park of Veggiekins is on the podcast this week. She is a full-time creative content creator at Veggiekins blog, Veggiekins Instagram, and Veggiekins on YouTube as well. She covers plant-based nutrition. She is a recipe developer, so she's like the head chef of Veggiekins. She's always creating and sharing vegan recipes, health, wellness, fitness. She's so incredible. She is certified in yoga she's a certified yoga teacher certified holistic nutritionist certified mindfulness coach certified photographer well I guess that's not certified but she is a photographer I I'm definitely missing things but we cover it all in this episode truly every 
every single certification that she has, we cover. She has over 145,000 subscribers on YouTube. She shares nourishing vegan and gluten-free recipes, tips on how to live your best balanced and holistic life. And she's always posting about matcha as well. (laughs) But she is so incredible. Like I said before, there's so many layers to her. Some topics that we cover is she grew up, you know, she grew up in New York and New Jersey, but she moved to Taiwan with her family at around seven years old. So we talk about how that impacted her and, and how she developed an eating disorder at a very young age living there and, you know, what the culture there, how it contributed to an eating disorder and also struggling with addiction and how she healed from both of those things and living with OCD and becoming a blogger and a YouTuber and how being a content creator has actually helped her to heal in all those areas and the negative stigma against addiction and all of these things that she deals with and how she's you know handled the stigma on her platforms and speaking out about it and we just we really dive into so much I truly believe there's something for everyone in this episode so definitely check out all of her content and when you do head over to Vegikins check out her incredible channel be sure to also head over to Jen Lauren and check out mine as well I'm taking this opportunity just to remind you guys that I do have my own YouTube channel and we actually hit 3,000 subscribers last week and I'm so excited about it. It truly just goes to show what consistency and passion and really just feeling so much passion for your content and wanting to stay consistent because you just love it so much. And it's just amazing to see how we are growing. And I love it so much. I told you guys that once we hit 3,000 subscribers, we're going to be going live on YouTube to do a journal with me and chat morning rituals. So I always do a poll in my community posts on there and all my subscribers on there voted for weeknights. So on one weeknight next week or the week after, once I'm back from Florida, we're going to be doing a YouTube live. I will promote it on Instagram. So definitely subscribe on YouTube so that you don't miss that live and we can all chat. I I just want to bring you guys into the conversation. I know you love listening to all of our conversations on here and watching my YouTube content, but I want to do things with you guys. And I don't want to just journal, post it, and then you guys follow the journal with me video. I want to journal with you. So I'm excited to hear from you guys what your favorite self-care tips and morning rituals are and just talk to you guys about that so I'm really excited for that stay tuned and without further ado let's welcome Remy Park to the podcast hi Remy welcome to the podcast we are so excited to have you here thank you for having me I'm so excited to chat Of course. Well, you have to tell us, every single guest that comes on has to tell us their top self-care tip that's played a role in their success. So let us know what is yours. So I think I'm going to kind of change mine because normally I would say something else, but recently I really think it's been all about sleep. And I love that because it's free and it's accessible for the most part to everyone. But sleep has been so, so important for me. I feel like as I get older, it's starting to affect me a lot more when it comes to like hormones and things like that. Just overall mood, like productivity. It's just something that I've really not paid attention to until recently. And I feel like it's made such a huge difference. So even though it's not the most fun thing, I would say sleep is definitely a huge factor in just my success as like a human and being able to function and yeah, just well-being in general. 
I love that one. That's something I've also recently been thinking a lot more about because I'm sort of in that stage with YouTube and everything where it's like, oh, this is the time where you hustle. If you have to stay up till 3 a.m. editing, you do that. And I'm like, well, my message is all about self-care. So I'm trying to find that balance where I'm like, I really feel like you can hustle, you can be productive, but you can't do any of that without ample sleep. So I'm totally with you that prioritizing sleep, which is, I feel like it's hard to prioritize because all you're thinking about is everything you have to do during the day. So you're just like, oh, I'll sacrifice sleep. But you cannot get anything done or be your most present self and like give your all to something unless you get a good sleep. So I'm totally with you on that. And no one's given that tip. So I love that. (laughs) Oh, I'm glad. Yeah, I'm really into morning routines. That's what I would normally say. But I think it kind of all goes hand in hand because I'm very much an early morning person. I start my day like four or five in the morning usually. And um, that happens no matter what time I go to bed. And I realize that that's just not a great message to be putting out there because it's very much that like grind culture. So, you know, it's full circle now. It's just like my sleep routine as a whole, I feel like is just a lot more important to me. Yeah, we are on the same page there for sure. (laughs) So there is so much I want to talk to you about. Like I feel like Everyone has so many layers as a human, obviously, but you're, you really are vocal about all of them. And I just feel like there's so many different layers to you that I personally relate to and that I really am just so fascinated by. So let's just take it back to growing up. You have a really unique childhood, in my opinion. You moved around a lot. Can we talk about that? Like, what was your childhood like? So I was born in the U.S. My family is actually from the New York, New Jersey area, and I moved overseas when I was seven years old. So that was the first time we moved. Um, We moved to Taiwan, which is like a very different experience. I didn't even know where it was on the map (laughs) when we first moved there. I think I was seven and we moved to my dad's job. And ever since that move, like my family really enjoyed living overseas and moving around. So we moved to Shanghai. We lived in a few other countries in Asia. And the experience was really just different because we were in a different country, but also because we were sort of part of this bubble that was like everyone else was also from a different country. Country. So we weren't really even having the full experience of living Your in parents Taiwan. Too. Yeah. So we, it's hard to explain, but like we were part of this like expat community. So it's like people who moved to Taiwan for a job from like their home country, basically. And like that was sort of the community that we were in. Um, it was definitely a very sheltered community within, you know, the actual country we were living in. Um, So the schools that I went to were all taught in English. They were all international schools. And it was great because the other students were all from other countries. So I would get, you know, exposure to people from Europe, from South Africa, like so many different countries. And it was amazing, but definitely a very unique experience in that I never felt like I was fully immersed in the local culture. And I also was having this weird experience where everyone was from somewhere else. And we couldn't really relate on too many things other than the fact that we were living in this country like this. So that was like my first exposure to it. And then it's kind of a similar thing. Like when you move to another country, you also go to an international school. And like these schools are somewhat related. You know, we'll go to sports competitions and you'll see people from those other schools, but it's all the same experience. So you're never fully integrated into the local culture really. So yeah, so I kind of moved around within like the international schools. It's sort of like boarding school culture in that way where you like always kind of know someone. But I think what was really unique about it was that we thought that it was very normal to go clubbing and like start drinking and using drugs at like very, very young ages. And part of it just had to do with the fact that we had access to those things 
Um, there is a drinking age. It's just not really enforced. So you could walk into like a convenience store right. and buy a beer, even if you look like you're 10 years old or you are 10 years old. Like, it's pretty crazy. And it's also very affordable. So that was sort of my experience growing up. The first time that I went to a club was when I was 13. No, not 13. That's a little young. I think I was 15, maybe. <laughs> um, and that day, you know, I had like my first drinks. I actually experimented with drugs already in that first night out. And I think what happened was I thought that those things were really scary. And once I had tried them, I realized like, oh, they're not actually that scary. And I kind of diminished like the danger in them and the fear that I had around them. So from that point on, it was very normal for me. I drank a lot. Um, I went out most nights during the week, like even weekdays sometimes. And I would almost always be using drugs too. I think at first it was definitely like a very social thing, but later on it became a lot more uh, something that I would use as like a coping mechanism and start to enjoy like alone, which I think is sort of one of those red flags for me. And yeah, I'm kind of like jumping all over the place here, but yeah, when I was younger, I um, developed an eating disorder like around seven years old and I was also diagnosed with OCD. So this all kind of happened at once with the move. It was definitely um, a very unique experience, but I think it helped me grow up a lot more quickly. And I'm now sober. I've been sober for many years and back in New York. <laughs> well, I'm in New York too, so love that. Um, so yeah, there's there's a lot there that I, I definitely want to dive into all of those things. So I guess let's start with, I mean, you mentioned sort of how you got into drugs and alcohol. How did your eating disorder develop? I, that's like a very weird question, but what age like how did how did you living overseas somewhere where you didn't grow up in a very unique experience how did that shape your relationship with food so i think so i was around seven when it started and i think part of it was definitely maybe the move it was like this huge shift in my environment and i just felt like i didn't really have control over my life but part of it too was also the difference in just like the relationship that we have with food in America and the kind of food that there's available. So when I moved to Taiwan, there wasn't really as much like junk food, processed food, not really the American snacks or breakfast cereals that you would see. And so naturally the people that lived in Taiwan tended to be maybe a little bit more on the leaner side. Like there wasn't as much of like a baby fat thing. Like that wasn't really a thing. You know, we talk about it all the time in the US, like, oh, you know, it's just baby fat. I had never heard that once I moved there. And it was wow. like, what do you mean? What are you talking about? And there's also a little bit of like Asian culture at play too, where it's kind of a normal thing to make comments about people's weight and appearance. And it's just very like matter of fact, it's not meant to be rude necessarily, but it's just something mm -hmm. that comes up a lot. Like you'll see family and the first thing that they'll say to you within meeting you will probably be like, oh my God, you've either lost or gained weight or you're looking a little chubby. It's just so normal to talk about things like that. So I think it was a combination of like the culture, um, being in a very different environment and situation and feeling like this need for control. I do think part of it is biology. Like I know that I have OCD. So part of it is the way that my brain is structured. There's a lot of relationship between the control aspect and the obsession and anorexia, which is what I struggled with. So I think all of it was just like the perfect combination to put me in that position basically. But it started yeah. so young that it really, I think it was hard to pick up on because, you know, at that age, you're still growing as a kid. You don't really know what your like normal body looks like. And it's hard for people to see the red flags because you're so young that it could be like, oh, she's picky or, oh, she's never really had an appetite. But the truth is before age seven, like I was a great eater. I was always like a lot taller than people because I would eat so much. But yeah, it started really young and it wasn't until 
kind of like the end of high school that it really started to become less of a problem. And I wouldn't say I was recovered until like maybe college. So it's like a pretty significant chunk of my life. Yeah. So at seven years old, I'm assuming, and you let me know, that you've done the work to sort of now understand what you were going through. But at seven years old, did you understand any of that? And were you already diagnosed with OCD at that point? I think what, I don't know, really know if I knew what was going on. Like, I knew for a fact that I was hiding a lot of what I was doing. I kind of knew it was wrong because, you know, the school would call my parents and be like, hey, like, we're a little worried because your daughter right. is eating like salad and cucumbers and she's a kid, you know? And then I knew from that moment, I was like, okay, I kind of need to keep this on the DL, like what I'm doing. So I would find ways to make it seem like I was eating. You know, I became very good at kind of lying, which I think is something that like addicts and people with mental illnesses are really good at doing as sort of like a, I think, protective mechanism too, because you don't want to let other people down. So I think I was very aware. I just don't think I knew exactly why I was doing it. I think it was kind of like this need for control. And also like a lot of the things I thought about food were so off. Knowing now what I know about nutrition, Mm -hmm. I would eat like chicken nuggets and French fries, but then that would be all that I ate for the day. It would be like maybe two chicken nuggets and like in theory, if I was really worried about it, like, I don't know why I would choose that food. You know what I mean? So it's very misinformed, (laughs) but it kind of just happened organically. I knew that I wanted to be like small and thinner. And I just, yeah, that was kind of the focus for me, but it was all done in such a weird way. (laughs) And as far as like the OCD, I wasn't diagnosed until maybe middle or high school. So I didn't really know that that's what was going on. But I remember feeling like it was really weird because a lot of mine were safety related. So I would wake up in the middle of the night. I would, um, lock and unlock the door like multiple times, things like that, that were pretty obvious. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I didn't really know that OCD was even a thing and I hadn't seen any examples. So to me, it was just like, oh, this is just a thing that I do. I'm just a nervous person, you know? Yeah. So you mentioned that you didn't really recover until around college. So what did that look like? What, What sort of led to your recovery? Were you able to get treatment or was it more of a mentality shift once you found veganism like what did that look like so I kind of actively started recovery work when I was in college because my campus had this free session every semester I think you got like a couple of sessions for free I actually went in for OCD and then ended up sort of like opening up the can of worms and you know the first intro session you have is always like tell me about your life and everything kind of came up and I sort of thought I was recovered but at that point I realized that there were still a lot of things that I was controlling when it came to food. So we started working on that. And I think I saw college as this like opportunity to start fresh. And I really was kind of tired of my own bullshit. I just wanted to be able to focus on things that really mattered, like getting a job, you know, getting good grades. So that's kind of what I did. And, you know, the therapist told me you can either do an inpatient session. I had a friend who did actually take a semester off to do an inpatient treatment. And I really didn't want to because I wanted to stay on track with the timing and graduate on time. So I really dedicated um, my time to just making sure that I was following a meal plan that my nutritionist had set for me, um, being compliant with that. And I guess taking it seriously for the first time in a really long time. And I think that it helped because it was the first time I was also cooking for myself. So I knew I had to be a little bit more responsible and that nobody else was going to make sure that I was eating or check in. Like it would have been so easy for me to be restricting because nobody knew what I was eating, right? So it was just kind of like, okay, this is a moment where you're either going to take it into your own hands and get serious or continue what you're doing and let food consume your life. Yeah. And was it more like, oh, now I understand the risk of what can actually happen if I continue this behavior? 
or was it just, you know, the anxiety of all of this is really just taking over my life and I want it to stop? I think it was a little bit of both. It's kind of funny, actually. Like, I was pretty young at that point. I think I was probably 21 in college. And something that's interesting to me is that, like, what really shifted my perspective was thinking about kids. So I had a lot of friends who were older than me who started having kids, and I realized, like, I haven't had a period in, like, two years. Mm -hmm. And I kind of thought that was okay. And then, you know, checked in with the doctor at school, and she was kind of telling me, like, all the risk factors and asking me, like, hey, do you ever want to have kids? Because if so, it's going to be really, really hard for you. And at the time, I was in a long-term relationship. Um, and I did really want kids and I don't know how I thought somehow that I was going to be able to support another life when I could barely support myself enough to have a period, um, and allow my body to feel safe. So really thinking about kids shifted my perspective a lot. And I never wanted to be the mom that was still struggling with like food issues because that stuff really does kind of affect your kids when you don't even intend it to. Like we pick up on so many things our parents do without realizing and I thought to myself, like, I don't want to be the parent that, like, has any kind of negative effect on their kids and their relationship with food. Mm-hmm. Like, I would want my kids to be so nourished and well-fed. How could I do that while also restricting myself? And also, physically, how could I have a kid when I can't even have a period, you know? So that was a huge yeah. goal for me. I started to see it as something beautiful that my body could feel safe enough to support not only my life but another life. And seeing that as something that was a good thing and, you know, not taking pride anymore and like losing a period and being so thin that like I couldn't have a period. So that was a huge, huge thing for me. And I think veganism also played a role too, because for the first time I was actually excited about cooking and like having this relationship with food and getting to know flavors and textures and vegetables and learning to make just like really delicious food. So it was like a combination of everything. But yeah, I can safely say that now I have the best relationship that I've ever had with food. But it's been, yeah, it's taken me a long time. Yeah, it sounds like having a therapist and an outside perspective come in and sort of like change your outlook on life and bring in new perspectives, whether it was kids or whatever it was, like seeing yourself not just being within your own body, but sort of seeing another perspective on life. It sounds like that really helped and helped you understand like, oh, there's, there's more to this than what I'm experiencing and this could affect my other facets of my life. Yeah, absolutely. And it was around the same time that I started to really take the vegan lifestyle seriously and also get sober and like stop using drugs. So it all kind of went hand in hand. I kind of had a very eat, pray, love experience, I guess, where I was like, <laughs> I just want to change so many things in my life. But it yeah. really was coming back to myself. Were you in America for college? Yeah, I came back to New York. So I think, too, that played a big role because I realized a lot of the things that I was doing wasn't normal. In Asia, you know, it was very accepted that we'd go clubbing, we'd drink and stuff. And when I met people in college, you know, we would talk about high school and what our experience was like. And when I would talk about my experience, they would just look at me like, what do you mean? You know, like, that's not normal. And that's when I realized I was like, okay, my experience was maybe normal to like the community that I was part of, but I don't think it's normal to be sober before you're even legally able to drink, you know? Right. So were you sober when you entered college? I wasn't until around my sophomore year of college. That's kind of when I started to um, consider like maybe I need to, you know, quit the drinking. So it was around sophomore year for me that I really committed to, you know, the sobriety journey. So, okay, so then you were in America. So were you able to get treatment? Did you go to AA? Like what contributed to getting sober? So I did go to AA meetings and I was working with the same therapist actually that I was working on with the eating. Kind of happened naturally and I think I felt very safe with that therapist. But 
the meetings were kind of tricky because I was definitely the youngest there most of the time. Um, and I also felt like there was this like this undertone of religion intertwined. Like the 12-step program is very much a religious program. There's a lot of like the verbiage is very Christian. A lot of the meetings are held at like churches and it's it's not like you're mm-hmm. going to church, but they're in church facilities. And I had a really hard time with that because when I was in high school, I would go to church sometimes with my parents, but I would be like still high or hungover or still drunk from the night before because it was Saturday night and then I would go Sunday morning. So I had a lot of guilt mm-hmm. around that. I felt like just terrible doing that. And I was very aware at the time, but it was like this kind of element of guilt, I think, related to religion especially. And so 12-step was honestly like really difficult for me. I didn't really enjoy it that much. Like I think in theory it's great, but like the full program was really difficult for me to kind of just like fully embrace, I think. So yeah, luckily I had like a few a friends. Bit triggering too. Mm-hmm. It sounds yeah, like absolutely. it triggered you, like being back in that religious environment. Yeah, for sure. And um, I think too, a lot of it is like, the emphasis on like you being the problem or like you needing to trust in God to like recover. And I kind of felt like that's like, doesn't really feel so empowering to me. And I would like for it to be a little bit more like, you know, you can take back control of your own life. But honestly, it was really focusing on like work and school that kind of helped me shift my perspective and not think about getting trashed all the time. And I also think being removed from a toxic environment was really helpful for me because I saw that people were normal and doing activities that didn't require you to be drunk to socialize. And I had a couple of friends I had met in AA meetings that were really helpful for me. And I think I relied on them more than anything because I just, I genuinely did not enjoy going to meetings after I started to feel like, okay, this is kind of like a religious thing. I do think it's incredibly helpful and I know it's effective for so many people, but I think I just had this weird thing with religion that made it really hard. Yeah. So my sister actually had a similar experience. She first went to rehab in AA, I want to say like 11 years ago. So I was just entering high school and she, it took her 10 years to actually be involved in the AA community and rely on it. So she had the same experience where it was like, first of all, this feels like you have to believe in God or a religion and like, I'm not religious at all. And she also felt like everyone else had, you know, such bigger issues than her, just wasn't resonating, wasn't relating to it. But now she's two years sober and very involved. And like you said, what she's taking more from it now is also the community. She actually found a group of people in New York City that, you know, because she was going to AA, like wherever she was in rehab in Connecticut and like middle of nowhere places where now she like goes to meetings in the East Village and she actually has a community of people who she would be friends with even, you know, before getting sober. So I th- I think that's like a huge part of it to actually no one else can relate to you other than the people who are also going to those meetings and trying to live a sober life but might not just might not relate to, you know, going to church and like relying on a higher yeah. power, but it it is what you make of it kind of thing. And you can have a higher power that's not God and you can rely on more so like the community and coming back to them every week. So I always find it interesting to see how other people view AA and if it helps them or not. It's, is that something you, you go to meetings now or not at all? I have gone to a few actually Zoom meetings, interestingly enough, mm-hmm. because I recently went through a breakup and I think that was a really hard time for me. Like my life had been pretty stable and consistent for like the last 
like 10 years since I've been in this relationship and I didn't really expect to feel anything come up when we broke up but I definitely found myself like considering like oh you know it would be great to just like take a little bit of the anxiety off um I wasn't sleeping Mm -hmm. I wasn't eating so I started to feel a little bit more wired and I think when you're not taking care of like your baseline human needs that's when you're more vulnerable to like all these mental illness things coming up so I was like, you know, it would be really nice to just like get better sleep or actually sleep for once, maybe have an appetite. And that's when I was like, okay, I feel like this is my time to kind of check in with people, you know, connect with like Zoom communities. I have a couple of friends that are not necessarily AA, but they used to host these sessions where we would do like panels with the community. It could be like whether you're sober from like drugs or alcohol, um, you'd show up and it'd be like New York based as well. But ever since COVID, it's been trickier. So Mm-hmm. reached out, found a couple of like Zoom meetings, checked in. But before that, I honestly really was not super involved with the community because most of my friends around me were not sober, but I was okay with it. Like I, for whatever reason, didn't really have any issues like maintaining my sobriety. And I think part of it is being so open about it on social media and very just, I guess, unapologetic about it, uh, that people knew it wasn't anything that they would you know, approach with me and be like, hey, like, do you, are you sure you don't want to try a drink? Like, it was just very on the right. table. Like, look, I'm sober. Don't question it. You know, right, like, right. you know, I'm going to get a tea or whatever. So, um, yeah, it was pretty easy for me, honestly. But yeah, when that came up for me recently, I was like, wow, I, for the first time, feel like I'm a little bit vulnerable to, you know, falling back into it. And I really didn't want to. So it's kind of like something that I feel like you have to maintain and just keep an eye on basically for life, you know? Yeah, and I want to get into a bit later about how you got certified as a mindfulness coach and meditation and yoga and all that, but I feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but do you feel like part of having a mindfulness practice and a yoga practice and veganism and being really in tune with your body has allowed you to know when something is off and to know like, oh, now it's time to check in. Oh, I'm, I'm like, see it from an outsider's perspective. I'm seeing these thoughts come in and this isn't me. I need to check in and like figure this out and do something different today than I've been doing the past week. Do you feel like having that mindfulness practice allows you to be more intuitive? I think it does. And I also think a big part of the recovery was honestly getting physically healthy made it so much harder to keep up with what I was doing before. Like drinks right. would hit hit me so much harder, you know, drugs would hit me way harder because I was suddenly like able to actually feel and be in tune with my body. Um, so it honestly was really, really helpful. And the feeling alone was a huge motivator for me to not go back into it because I suddenly felt so good and I'd never felt that before. Um, I didn't want to ruin it, you know, so that was definitely a big thing for me too. Um, and I think with that kind of community, like yoga, mindfulness, there is a lot of emphasis on not necessarily being sober, but it's not something you really see as often because I think it's all about understanding yourself and also being kind and compassionate and practicing compassion towards others and yourself. And that sort of clicked for me. I was like, this is not treating myself well. So even within that community, even if people were not necessarily sober, it just wasn't as common to be like, hey, after this yoga class, let's get a drink, you know? And that helped me a lot too. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's like, let's get a juice. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So you mentioned that speaking about it online and being open about it online was really helpful. And I remember reading one of your blog posts and it it said something like, I think the title was, but you don't look like an addict. And you have the sobriety blog post series and you were talking about how you avoid using the word addict because there's a negative connotation and it took you a minute to be able to be open about that online. So I'm curious, where are you at with that now? Because 
I agree there is a negative connotation to it and it sucks but people like you coming out and owning it and also showing that you have this amazing healthy lifestyle now but that you also do struggle sometimes and it's not all you know rainbows and butterflies but like you have been able to create an amazing life for yourself and come out of that I think it's super important to show it's it's not that it's normal not to normalize it but to show that it happens to the everyday person and it happens to way more people than you think. So where are you at with that now and like talking about it so openly? So I think something that was interesting was like, I feel like recently I haven't been as open about speaking about my mental health. And I think part of that is related to the breakup. I think sometimes it's difficult to open yourself up when you're not feeling as strong. And also my platform has grown significantly since I put out that sobriety series. But the truth is like when I started my Instagram account, it was very much about mental health to start with. So I think I'm a lot more comfortable than most people are sharing because that's all I've known in starting social media. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I feel like maybe this is TMI. Like I know it's kind of about the recipes more than anything, but I'm just so used to it. And my community has never been closed off to it. They've been very supportive of it. You know, I Even if I get one email that's like, this helped me so much, like that to me is valuable. So I always do it. So in the beginning, I definitely feel like I was a little bit more open about it. And then now I'm at this place where I feel like it's all out there and people are aware, but I don't talk about it as much as I used to. And I kind of go back and forth. I'm trying to figure it out myself too. Like, do I want to kind of still touch on these things or do I want to focus more on the food? Like, how open am I to it? Because when you open yourself up, you also invite people who relate to that experience. And a lot of people reach out and I actually do find it a little bit triggering sometimes because, Mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't come with a trigger warning. Like people will say, hey, thank you so much. This really helped me. And here's my story. And it's like such a sweet thing, but you also have to be in the right mindset to make sure you can read like these gory details of like what someone else is going through and feel like you're back there. So I feel like right now in this present moment, having gone through the breakup and just being a little bit less emotionally stable than I normally would be. I'm feeling a little bit more closed than I normally would, but ideally I would love to get back to the place where I'm feeling open to talking about it a little bit more. So I'm glad we're talking about it now. But yeah, even little things like how, you know, I'm going back to AA meetings to do like check-ins. I feel like that's something that normally I would share and I haven't yet. And I don't really know why, but I think I go through these like waves of how open I really want to be. So I'm now feeling more inspired. Like after talking to you, maybe I will (laughs) open up again. I'm so glad. (laughs) Well, so do you know Gabby Bernstein? Yes. So she speaks about or she's spoken about. I don't know if I've read this in her book or when she's spoken about it, but she talks about how sometimes you need to like heal and go through it yourself before you can then speak about it because it's not helpful yet. And like you said, it's inviting the opinions and stories of other people, and that can mess with your own healing process. So I don't even think it's like necessarily a bad thing that you're feeling closed off. You're probably just like, not to like psychoanalyze you, but you're probably just like protecting yourself. And, and I think it's a great thing to allow yourself to heal. And then once you're out of it and feel like you're in a good place, then you can actually offer helpful you know this is what I went through this is how I got through it kind of thing so I think if you know that it's triggering to get those messages when you're feeling really raw and open at the moment maybe you feel like you're hiding things again and it feels weird but I think you're just going through a healing process and you're not it's not the time to speak on it yet and you should definitely go to Gabby Bernstein's she definitely has blog posts on this and stuff I'm like fully pulling from her words but she's sober as well and she she talks a lot about how 
even when she was struggling with infertility, like not, not that she was keeping it to herself, but she had to go through it before she could then open it up to the world. And I think that's actually a great way to go about it. So I think that makes sense that like you go through waves because you talk about it when you're in a great place. And when you're not such a great place, you're just, you know, you've got to be with yourself. You can't be spewing it out to everyone at all times. So I think it sounds like you have a healthy balance because you've been online for a really long time. Yeah, yeah, it's been it's been a while. I feel like I've kind of like gone through a little bit of growth as a person and it's funny to see it documented and you can kind of look back on it. So yeah. it's a unique experience for sure. <laughs> yeah, so I also wanted to say, I know you were you were mentioning before like it feels weird to talk about it, you know, they want to see the recipes, but I do think the fact that you're on YouTube rather than just being like a recipe Instagram allows for more of that like people feel like they know you because when you vlog people feel like they're spending the day with you like they know the ins and outs of your day so it does feel a little bit more of an intimate relationship I think people have with youtubers sorry the New York sirens are <laughs> love going it on. beyond <laughs> I know it just happens every podcast there's no way to avoid it I think people who watch you feel like they it lends itself to a more intimate experience I think when you're on YouTube rather than on Instagram did you start you started on blogging and then YouTube like can we talk about how that came about like at what because now we know like all the stages of your life I feel like or like the main ones so at what stage were you at when you started putting yourself out there and did you have a full-time job like can we talk about that yeah so I was in college when I started my Instagram that was the only thing I had and it was actually accidental. So I kind of mentioned this, but I was using it as a recovery tool. So I was posting my meals, um, working with my nutritionist to like recover from anorexia and just really commit to the meal plan and like taking pictures of that to show her. And um, it kind of just like picked up traffic, I think, because veganism was maybe trending around that time too. So I found like other people who were in the same position as I was. And then my friends found it and I was like, you know, I'm just going to make the food look a little better and keep doing it. So that's how it really started. It was all about the mental illness recovery and just like the really raw emotions, but also the food. And that's kind of always how it has been. And I think for that reason, I'm always like, okay, when does it become more professional and just about food? Or is that really the direction I want to go? And it's hard for me to separate the two a little bit. But right after college, I got my first job and I was working there for about three months. I actually went back to rehab because after those three months, I wasn't really sleeping. The job that I was in wasn't really fulfilling me. And it was very, very time intensive like I was on a project where you know I have to be up super early and then get to bed super late and then I also wanted to like make sure I was doing my self-care maintenance things so I would sacrifice sleep to do those things and honestly it kind of just really wore me down and I started to feel like okay you know it wouldn't be so bad if I like hit the drugs just to like function a little bit better and that culture too I think does embrace a little bit more of like you know the cocaine and like the drugs that yep. sort of help you like function and more productive and all of that so I quit my job because I was like I need time to really focus on rehab again and make sure that I'm okay before I do anything else and I happened to be blogging at the same time so you know by nature of just like needing to pay my rent and everything I would accept like partnerships or I would work with the clients that I'd been working with before photography wise and at a certain point, it just started to make a lot more money than my salary was anyway. So I was like, you know, I guess instead of going back, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing because I now feel like I have more time in my day to focus on recovery. And I was going like every day for a few weeks. It's like a half day inpatient thing. 
And it was so, so good for me. Like, I'm so happy I did it. Although I wish I would have done it with more of a plan. That's kind of how it started. And then from there, I started YouTube. And it was interesting because YouTube was really only about food in the beginning for me. And now I feel like I Mm -hmm. use YouTube as more of like a vlog, lifestyle thing, a little bit more personal than like my Instagram maybe. And then of course, like my website is basically purely food. So yeah, it's like a nice little spread between all the platforms. Were you one of those people who was just started making YouTube videos to put them in your blog posts? Um, no, actually. Like, I wish I had thought of that. I honestly didn't really know what I was doing. Like, I didn't <laughs> yeah. know what it was to be, like, a good blogger at all. I barely even had a website, actually, when I started. Um, everything sort of happened by accident, I feel like. So mm-hmm. it's funny to look back on old content sometimes. I'm like, oh, my God, I got to delete this. Yeah. But it all just happened very naturally. Was it – you know, your Instagram and blog followers followed you to YouTube or do you feel like you had to really build YouTube from the ground up? Um, Yeah, it's actually really funny that you asked that because I think my YouTube audience even today is a different audience. Like if I post something on YouTube, my people on Instagram have no idea. And I think it's like maybe the type of content that people like to consume is just very different. Of course, like there are some people who are just really into the content and they want more of it and then they're willing to watch YouTube videos. But I feel like it's the attention span, the type of content people are used to that dictates like what platform they're going to be on. So my YouTube audience is very different. And it's interesting because, you know, going through the breakup, I, I did end up talking about it because people could sort of pick up on it and were asking and sort of creating their own narrative and I didn't want that. I was like, okay, I want to be in control of what the narrative is and make sure that people know what happened is all in goodness. There's no like foul play. There's no negative emotion there. And I ended up having to post about it like on my story and then realizing people on YouTube had no idea. And I was like, oh God, like now I have to make a YouTube video. So it was kind of interesting, but I think I'm glad that there's like a difference in audience sometimes because I know that what goes on YouTube is not necessarily what people want to see on Instagram. So it kind of works for me that way. But I have a lot of friends who are a little bit more in sync with all their platforms where it's like, this is going on the blog, which is then going to go on Instagram. And then there's a YouTube video attached and it's like all one piece. Yeah. Yeah, So as a consumer of your content, I can confirm that because I found you on YouTube because I'm on YouTube also and I'm obsessed with YouTube. I like have all my YouTubers that I follow religiously and I found you on there And I had no idea that you started with like a food Instagram. Like I would have never associated the two, even though I love your what I eat in a day videos and everything, but I would have never thought like it started as, you know, a vegan recipe Instagram. So you're (laughs) totally right that it's like two different communities completely. And I learned about your breakup on the YouTube video where you said, (laughs) where you said, I know, I realize I put this on Instagram, but you guys probably have no idea. And you're right. It's just a completely different community. And just to touch on that for a second, I have been in a 10 year relationship myself. So I can relate to growing up with someone and how it's just like, I don't want to make you emotional or anything right now, but how it just totally changes your life and your future. And it's just a really heavy thing. So I'm excited to see where you go because I can tell you're like confident in it. It's going to be hard, but I can tell you're, you're confident in the decision and I'm excited all these huge life decisions, like it always excites me to see where people are going to be a year later because even I say this to my sister all the time and it sounds like you're the same way. It's like even with your eating disorder, with struggling with addiction, it's like you had to go through that to have the platform you have now, to have, you know, mm-hmm. the certifications in yoga and meditation that you had now. I don't like who knows if you would have actually been led to those practices 
had you not gone through those hard times. So I'm excited to see like what this hard time is going to bring you in the future. And I think it's an interesting perspective uh, switch because it's easy to get in those depressed mindsets and you're going to naturally. But it's an interesting perspective shift to be like, I wonder where this this bad thing is going to lead me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It very much feels like the beginning for me, even though it's like very much an end. <laughs> but yeah, I yeah, think yeah, part yeah. of the reason why I made that YouTube video was like, I wanted to be able to look back on that video and almost see the documented growth in the way that I think about it and the way that I have a relationship with myself. So I'm hoping that in the vlogs it will be obvious that like there's growth going on. It was a good thing in the end. But yeah, it's you've seen yourself do it before. So Mm -hmm. you're like, I think that's, that's the one leg up that people have who actually go through more struggles than other people. It's that they can see themselves be resilient and they can see themselves get to the other side. So then when other things happen, you're like, I can handle anything that comes my way. And you're able to have this more positive mindset and just like believe in yourself that there's going to be growth. So I think it's, it's really special that you're showing that on YouTube. And I don't, you know, we were talking before about how you're feeling closed off, but I think even just sharing that perspective of like, I'm going to look at this next year and I'm going to be in a different place. And how cool is that? It's, it's like, you're still sharing little bits of wisdom and you think that everyone has that type of mindset, but they don't. And it's like when you're in your own body, you mm-hmm. think what you're sharing on YouTube is is something that, you know, is obvious or everyone says or thinks of. But it's probably really helping someone out there who's going through their first major life event and has never even thought of the fact that it'll probably they will grow from this or they will heal. Some people just don't have that mentality. So I think even just that one message that you're spreading is so powerful. Thank you. That's really sweet. I was kind of like, <laughs> I think there's always a little bit of nervousness with being that person that yeah. like films themselves crying and puts yeah. it on the internet, you know? But I think um, it was very healing for me. And like, speaking of being closed off, I think that was a time that I really did take the moment to like feel it first mm-hmm. before posting. And so it's funny because all of that that happened was like actually a month or more ago. And that's why I feel like now when I'm showing up, like I feel so much better and people are like, wow, like you're doing so well, like already. I'm like, no, it's because I was going through it, but I just didn't share any of it because it wouldn't have been helpful. Like it was literally just me crying, me like dark circles, losing weight, all of that. Um, And I think I'm so glad I took the time to wait (laughs) before sharing, even though it's a little bit delayed and not in the moment. I'm never really in the moment with my content. Like that's how I practice self-care is like, posting a little bit yeah. later, you know? Yeah. As a consumer of your content and also a content creator myself, I think it was really tasteful how you did it because you showed a glimpse of you crying, but it it almost felt like we were getting a sneak peek into your intimate moment. It wasn't like you made a breakup video and we're just crying at the camera for 30 minutes. Like, you know what I mean? It was it was part of a larger uh, vlog. Yeah. You showed us a glimpse from like the corner and then you went about your week and then you like had a little conversation with us about it. Like, and you had a message with it, which is what we were talking about before with Gabby Bernstein. It's like, you're not just spewing out your dirty laundry to everyone to be like, oh, I'm going through it, feel bad for me. It's like you want to have a message and something helpful 
Otherwise, it's not helping you or them, you know? Like, so, so right, I think right. I just love how you did that. <laughs> as, as someone who was watching, I do <laughs> Thank love you. It. But I do want to ask you, I know I mentioned before that you, I wanted to talk to you about how you became, you're certified in a lot. You're certified in, and tell me if there's anything else. I think yoga, meditation, <laughs> mindfulness coach, holistic nutritionist. Is there anything else? Like you're certified in so many things. <laughs> so I'm also certified in essential oils, so aromatherapy, and I'm working on herbalism. I think, you know, what it really is, is like, I love learning and I always constantly want to be learning as a person and like a student of life, I guess. But sometimes it really takes like throwing yourself into something to understand whether or not you really enjoy it. But part of it for me, like with the nutrition, a lot of it was things that I already knew by my own research and like what I had learned in school from my mom. My mom is, um, she is not super certified in many things, but she's been a practitioner of like many holistic practices for like my entire life. Like I grew up with like essential oils and like, oh, you know, eat this herb instead of taking yeah. this like Pepto-Bismol. But um, yeah. me and myself, like I didn't really feel comfortable sharing online because I think that something that happens a lot is content creators, they establish a lot of authority in what they're saying, but a lot of them don't have the credentials to really be sharing that information. And even though it's intended to be educational, I think there's sometimes that nuance that's missing when you don't have the certification to make sure that you are being so clear about what you're saying and throwing out disclaimers and making sure that, you know, what you're saying is not going to be for everyone. I just really didn't want to be that person. And um, I felt like even though I'm not making huge nutritional claims with my recipes, I think it's important if I'm serious about it to just be able to back up that I know what I'm saying. So that's kind of the motivation or what it was behind the nutrition certification. And I genuinely do love like nutrition and, um, you know, holistic practices. So that was fun for me anyways. The aromatherapy was like a similar thing for me and the herbalism too, because herbalism plays a lot into some of the recipes that I do. It's like understanding why turmeric is so good for you. Little things like what form of turmeric, are you pairing it with like black pepper mm -hmm. for absorption? Like the little things that I feel like make a big difference at the end of the day that you can share with people that are like nuggets of wisdom maybe. And then as far as like the yoga certification, that was actually inspired by my mom. So she got her certification at 40 or maybe 45 years old and she couldn't touch her toes. And then after doing her certification she is like now more flexible than I am wow. at 26 um so that was a huge inspiration for me and I had actually been a dancer and a gymnast when I was really young and gotten a lot of injuries so I was actually very not flexible in my back I had a lot of like leftover injury issues um and yoga really helped me with that so I kind of just did it because I was like you know I feel like I love yoga I might as well do 200 hours like I probably mm -hmm. will anyways and just practice so I might as well do it and what else? And the mindfulness kind of came along with it too. It ended up being something that I didn't really love as much because being super honest, meditation is not really the thing for me as somebody with OCD. Like it's a lot of noise mm -hmm. in my head OCD. So I don't really want to hear what's going on in there. Like yeah. I don't want to be in touch with what's going on there. I prefer podcasts playing in the background like noise because it helps me distract from all of this. That's so, so, interesting. so I have that, but I don't really uh, yeah. practice. <laughs> interesting. What meditation was it? Was it like TM? Like what were you being taught? 
So it was actually a, it doesn't exist anymore, but it was a branded kind of, um, I guess it's like a corporate mindfulness meditation course where you could actually teach people and bring it to like the workplace. So at the time I was still employed and I thought this would be so awesome. I tried to go into um, wellness in the workplace and I wanted that to like be my thing before I quit. I was like, maybe this is how I can make it work. So it's kind of like you bring mindfulness and meditation to corporate offices and you're the person Mm -hmm. that they'll bring in to like incorporate this like daily practice or maybe like once a week session with like a Mm -hmm. coffee or whatever. So it's more geared towards like bringing it to people who don't really want it or don't care. And I thought that was pretty cool, but it no longer exists anymore. So So I'm similar to you in that meditation like sitting there in silence it doesn't work for me and I hate to say that because I know like any meditation coach or anyone who loves meditation would be like you just it's a practice it gets easier or whatever and I know that but I'm like you I have a podcast on 24 7 like I'm always trying to be super productive which is I'm, I'm trying to figure out the balance between like being productive and not burning out because that's a whole nother thing but I've really been loving and I can talk to you about this after kundalini because it feels productive because it's breath work, which like physically shifts your anxiety, um, meditation, manifestation. So like you're distracted because you're doing things during it. So that's been a very, it's like the only time I've really resonated with meditative practice. So I can talk to you about that later. But <laughs> I, I wanted to ask you if you believe in manifestation as well, because you have all of these mindfulness practices and Sorry, I'm jumping all over the place, but I also wanted to mention when you were talking about how, you know, you got all these certifications because you're putting content and information out there online and you want to be able to give nuggets of wisdom and really have like backed up science and fact behind it. I really appreciate that because on my YouTube channel, I review workout classes and like, you know, Sydney Cummings and like all the workout YouTubers and different like I'll review like meditation, like Wim Hof method and things like that. While I'm doing my research to give a review, I realized, wait, this person's not certified. This person has 5 million subscribers and they're giving these workouts. Like I, I personally, that scares me. Like you don't have the knowledge of form. And of course you can learn from others, but it just freaks me out when people have such large platforms and no research or certification behind it. So I really appreciate because as a recipe developer and someone talking about veganism, you can totally get away with just doing, you know, talking about personal experience completely. So I really appreciate that you are taking those extra steps and taking, I mean, it's your business. Like this is your full-time job and you're taking it seriously. So I, I love that. Thank you. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's honestly not too difficult to do. Like if you get the bare minimum, like the lowest level certification, it's like you just pay a small amount take the time to do the course. Most of it can be done online if you really want to do that. And there are like less intensive ones, but like, I just feel like it's worth it if you're a business owner of any kind, which most content creators are, it's kind of like getting business insurance. Like why not do it? You know, it also helps to kind of refresh your own knowledge and make sure that like you're talking about what's correct. And you can bring more value. Like you can only talk about the same thing so many times, but you're constantly getting new certifications and learning. So you're constantly bringing value. So I love that. I, you're so into like yoga, mindfulness, all of these amazing healthy lifestyle practices. Do you, and it doesn't seem like you're too spiritual. So I'm curious if you practice manifestation at all or if you believe in it. 
It's interesting that you say that because I think part of the reason why I don't share as much of that is just because I know that when people see like yoga and veganism, it's like immediately like, oh, this girl is like so granola. (laughs) And like, you know, I'm sure like she doesn't have any certification. It's just like, oh, you know, follow this raw vegan diet or whatever. Um, So it's, if you look back at my content, it used to be a little bit more open on that end. I'm definitely that girl who has like, you know, hidden crystals in her bra and stuff like that. <laughs> I, would have, <laughs> like, I would not I just have guessed don't that. Post about I it would as not much. have guessed that. <laughs> yeah, like I think if you go back, like there's a lot more of like, you know, the crystal collection. I have a huge crystal collection. Um, I do believe in manifestation. I do a lot of those things, but I also think I'm very grounded as a person because I – I think I'm a very reasonable person and I'm very much focused on like the logistics, like when it comes to quitting a job, like what are the logistics, like where's the money coming from? Like, yes, manifest, but also like pay your rent. Um, But I believe that certain things like taking action, like when I quit my job, for example, that day that I sent the email, I then received so many emails in for like the biggest partnerships I've ever landed. And to me, it's like when you set your intention and you show the universe, it's like you're communicating to the universe that you're open to receiving these things. Like I fully believe it. And through all of these like weird life choices that I've made, I've found that every time I resist what feels like the path for me or what the universe is telling me, when I resist, I end up finding myself in the same destination at the end of the day, just in a very roundabout way with like more challenges and maybe not in a traditional way, but it would have been so much easier if I had just gone with the gut feeling and trusted, you know, my guides, I guess. So I'm very much into it. But at the same time, I like to think that I'm fairly balanced for a granola (laughs) person. And I also try and, you know, realize that like there is privilege that needs to be talked about when it comes to these things because it is a privilege to say something like, you know, I'm just going to manifest this in so many ways. Like you still need to put in the work. Yes, manifest, but also you need to put in the work and also realize that like for some people, they don't have the luxury of time or the convenience or the safety net of money maybe to just leave things up to manifesting. So for me, I think it's a combination of like the mindset, the manifestation, the energy and intention, but also doing the groundwork and putting in the time and energy in that way. And it can be a little bit off-putting for some people, I think, you know, maybe the amount of money that I spend on crystals or these like expensive wellness tools that I do have and I love. I just try to make sure that the content is in a sense for not everyone, but for Mm -hmm. more people. Because in my opinion, it's like, one person picking up like a free or really affordable self-care practice is huge. I don't necessarily need everybody to be on like that crystal bra thing or, you know, so it's like finding the balance, I think. And also a little bit of like wanting to be taken seriously, knowing that some people just don't really fully believe in that. And that's okay. Um, It's just that when it comes to business, like sometimes I feel like I need to be a little bit more reserved with how much I'm sharing. So that's kind of how I feel. I also, in the relationship that I was in, didn't have a lot of support on that side of things. Like it was very dismissive, more science-based thing. And I'm not anti-science. Like I'm I'm like crystals, yes, and science too, but I'm never going to be like only one or the other, if that makes sense. But I think I'm a little bit more granola than you think. I'm the same way. Like I don't think like any of my friends – realize how I mean now they do because I put it out online but would no one looking at me would know how like into crystals and spirituality that I am and my boyfriend also is I mean he's literally an environmental scientist so he's pretty scientific yeah so I have that same interesting dynamic but he he is more open to everything I'm doing but like there's certain things where he's just like making fun of me left and right 
<laughs> but I, I find it yeah. interesting that you spoke about privilege on the topic of manifestation because I actually recently just had a conversation with someone about how you know the certain things I'm manifesting and how maybe one day I would love to like work for myself and be entrepreneurial and I was like but those are things that I realize I I do you know I like suppress it but I do have a safety net and I do have these things and that's why I'm able to focus on manifestation and I was just having this conversation about how it is a privilege to be able to trust in the universe you know what I mean and I I really hadn't heard that spoken about anywhere else so that's interesting that this just came up I think it's something that's not spoken about enough and probably super triggering to people when they see certain content around manifestation and they're just like I can't rely on that I have to pay my bills I have to do this I have to do that so I do think there is a balance I agree with you and you know my point of view on manifestation I agree with you and I I believe in the universe and but it's mainly like my inner self like I have this crazy gut intuition where I don't do things until I it's like I feel it building up let, like, let's say it was my last job that I quit. It's like I feel it building up for months and months and months. And then finally my intuition is like, okay, it's time. But I also think with manifestation, it's like you don't have to believe in the universe. But truly, it's just like what you put your mind to and what you're putting your energy towards, like that's going to happen for you because you're so like cyber, not cyber focused, like hyper focused on something and laser focused on something that it will come to fruition, whether you believe in the universe or not. It's like what what you put your energy and your mind to, that's what's gonna that's what's gonna happen for you. So that's my mindset on that. Um, but let's go into the ending segment, which is fun facts and favorites. What is your morning routine? Um, my morning routine is pretty regimented actually. I wake up every morning and I watch the sunrise and that's like something that I've been doing for years and I found it to be really helpful for just like managing depression and just it's like such an easy way to find something to be grateful for and see something beautiful every day and also know that if you have like a terrible day that tomorrow is going to start with you know a beautiful moment so that's something that I've been doing for years Um, I'm naturally a pretty early riser though so a lot of these things are like easier for me because I don't really wake up groggy Mm -hmm. to be honest but I'll wake up I'll do like a little bit of facial gua sha to get like the blood flowing in my face sometimes I'll do like a little ice roll I'll do dry brushing Um, I don't meditate, but I will do a little bit of breath work or just very basic yoga to kind of just like realign, feel kind of grounded before I start the day. And then I'll do a matcha latte, supplements, and ideally if I have the time, like I'll do a morning workout. I'm very much a morning workout person more than any other time of day. And I just think like sweating is such a good way to start the day. It's like the best makeup too, you know, like you just look different when you sweat in the morning. So I love that. And then I kind of go about the rest of my stuff, like, you know, emails, work. Um, Yeah, but that's like something that I'm very committed to. I love mornings. Me too. I'm (laughs) obsessed with my mornings. They're so sacred. If I don't have that morning routine, my whole day is thrown off. So I'm with you there. What is your favorite vegan meal? I am going to say recently it's been tomato soup and a grilled Mm -hmm. cheese sandwich. I think it's just like looking for more comfort, but (laughs) it's easy and it's fun and it's like not a salad. So I feel like it's a better answer than like a kale salad. We barely even touched on veganism. We're going to have to do like a part two on all things veganism. (laughs) What is your favorite podcast to listen to? You can give a few. You can give a few. I know you're a big podcast listener like okay. I am. <laughs> yeah. So you know what's funny is like I used to really listen to primarily only self-care podcasts like wellness, self-care, health, yoga, mindfulness. But like recently I've been finding myself looking for a little bit more lightheartedness. 
in the podcast that I'm listening to. Like, I kind of want to be able to, like, mm-hmm. laugh a little bit more. So, you know, let me look at my Do podcast it. right now, actually, because it's changed a lot recently. One that I've really been enjoying lately <laughs> that's, like, so random <laughs> is the H3 podcast. And this is because of my ex-boyfriend, so I'm going to blame <laughs> him for sure. But it's just, like, this random YouTube guy. It's, like, not at all my kind of content, but I just kind of enjoy, like, the noise and something different. And then I really like the beautiful mess podcast because i've loved the two sisters that run that blog for like years and years and they're just like sunshine like even when they speak in their voice i feel like it's the best energy so i love that i also really like live planted which i think has kind of stopped i don't think there are any new episodes but there are tons i've been going through those and it's like a lot of conscious living veganism but like very practical Mm -hmm. veganism so it's like questions about you know is medication vegan like things that I think most people need to hear about going vegan that are very rational which I really appreciate what else do I like I really like the mind body green podcast is a great one I think that one's interesting it's kind of like you know a little bit too many different opinions sometimes I feel like I'm like jumping all over the place but it's always fun to just like keep an open mind so things like that I'm gonna be definitely asking you for some of your recommendations though because I've really I'm loving this because I don't (laughs) listen to any of those and I feel like I have so many that you probably don't listen to so we're gonna have to like swap lists after this yeah this would be great (laughs) this would be so great okay what is your favorite workout class or yoga class So my favorite workout class, I would say, I actually really like, even though I post mostly yoga, like I really do a lot of heavy lifting and more like high impact workouts. I really like rumble. That's a great one. Um, I love boxing. I used to really go to Tone House a lot, um, which was like, that's one of those classes that you feel nervous before you even uh-huh. start. You know what I yeah. mean? Because you know it's going to be rough. Yeah. But love that one. And then I also really like – I used to be a big Soul Cycle girl, but that's been like a long time since I've stopped. Um, and then for yoga, I love hot yoga. Like that's something I miss the most. Mm-hmm, me too. Um, so I hope we get that back soon too. But hot yoga is great. And I guess like for online classes, I really like um, the Sculpt Society has been probably one of my favorites out of all of them that I've tried because I went through a big phase of like trying all these things. Uh-huh. That's been one of my favorites. And also Torched with Isaac Boots. I used to go to his class in person. That's and hard. I miss it so much. That one's hard. Yeah, that one that burns. One? Yeah. Okay. We have similar tastes and workouts. You're in Brooklyn, right? I'm in – I'm on the Upper West Side actually. Oh, were you ever in Brooklyn or did I make that up? Okay. Okay. <laughs> Um, no, but like, I feel like a lot of my friends live there and it's like, I'll be down there a lot, okay. but, um, maybe like my energy belongs in Brooklyn, yeah, but I'm still I think so. <laughs> I don't know why I thought that. So well, what I was going to say was, do you like Y7? Cause I love Y7. I do like Y7. Yeah. Um, I like Y7. I also like, there's this, oh, what is it called? There's this gym in Williamsburg that I started doing zoom training with in the very beginning that I really like. And it's down by like the North 7th area. I'll see if I can figure it out later. But I love like classes like that. They're really fun. Okay. we. It's really funny that you said Tone House is like intimidating at first because I review workout classes or I did before the pandemic. And like a week before the pandemic, I was going into Tone House. They let me take a class and I canceled it last minute because I was like, I don't have the energy for this right now. Like you have to be mentally prepared to start a new high intensity workout. And I was just like, I am so tired. I can't do this right now. So it's funny that you said that. I've got to say it's like definitely peer pressure a little bit. Like that's a motivator in that class because it's like you, you have to be 
worried about the person behind you. So it's like, it's yeah. definitely a stressful class, but yeah. I do, I do enjoy it. I love um, Fit House. I did like all the high intensity oh, workouts yeah. there. I'm, I'm like you, I like a rumble and like a high intensity workout, but then I love like a hot yoga. So I'm, I feel like we have similar, similar taste. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I feel like this was such an amazing episode. I know I was really looking forward to it and it exceeded my expectations. So thank you for coming on. And can you tell us where can the people find you? Um, so most of my socials are just at Veggiekins and my recipes are on my website at veggiekinsblog.com. But the rest, like Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, all of that is just Veggiekins. Love it. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Of course. I hope you enjoyed that episode. I would so appreciate it if you could take a moment to rate, review, and definitely subscribe so that you don't miss another insightful episode. You can also engage with the community on the Dare to Self Care podcast Instagram, so definitely join us all there, and I will see you guys next week. Bye!